Welcome to Question Block. It's me, Wires of NYC, or Alex, here with... Aerialist. Today we're talking about Julius Caesar, because it's the Ides of March. March. So we wanted to talk about why the Ides of March is famous, and what took place on that fateful day. Yes, and we're going to talk about Brutus as well, complicated philosopher, Byronic hero, some might some might say you didn't know going into this when we like when we talked about time you learned we learned about the ides and talked a little bit but you didn't know all the drama that was Brutus and Julius Caesar did you No I didn't I mean I didn't know You said it was the first time you really enjoyed reading about politics It's true yeah I I didn't really know um like how multidimensional Brutus was It's it's really weird because he's in in uh, Dante's Dante's Inferno, he's seen as like up there or down there with, with Judas. Judas, right? I and it's like the third traitor, like is, Satan's, like licking Satan is them, chewing on him. Yeah, he's chewing on him in a lake of ice, which is wild. Like that's like ultimate traitor, but uh, as as we'll see, it's actually more complicated than that. You're going to talk about Julius. We were going to do a back and forth. Yes. If this were like a montage, like a feature film, it would switch between the two characters, though, going about their lives until they faithfully intersect. And then we'll talk a little about the aftermath. So uh, his full name is Gaius Julius Caesar. So he's born in 100 BC, July 100 BC, and famously dies on the Ides of March, March 15th, 44 BC. So he lived to 65. He's born in 100 BC, so all the dates we're going to say are counting down. This is important. To Jesus? Yeah. <laughs> we talked about that on the Christmas episode. Anyway, so stick with us. When the dates, As the dates get smaller, the characters get older in this story. So it's important to, to have that. So uh, the reason Caesar is famous, he's uh, kind of generally regarded as if you follow the great man theory of history is that like he single-handedly completely changed the course of history in Western civilization. He was a Roman general and statesman. Uh, he led Roman armies. He uh, got himself declared. Uh, he ended the Roman Republic and got to started the Roman empire and was declared dictator for life. He banged Cleopatra. Banged Cleopatra. He was a lover uh, he was apparently very passionate. He banged Brutus's mom. <laughs> yeah. And he uh, was a prolific writer and wrote in a very distinctive style. And a lot of his writing are still like foundational texts if you're studying Latin. Also killer salad. He was named, potentially was named after the Caesarean section, not the other way around. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? You're just named after a surgery. <laughs> yeah. Although it depends which historian you get, you get to. I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, so, so yeah, what life was like in 100 BC when he was born is that Rome was already a very strong state. Uh, it was a republic. They had conquered some lands outside their borders, but pretty much it's it's like in southern Italy and then some parts of uh, southern France, which is like right next door. What do we, when we say Republican today, what are we, ta- like in this time when so we're recording in, in this time it had the... Today, it still had the same reason or the same uh, definition as it did back then, which is a uh, a government that is controlled by uh, representatives who like represent various territories or areas, and and that was the Senate. The Senate uh, members each represented some area or territory or their hometown or whatever. 
Um, so it was it was sort of representative, but like not a democracy because the senators were not necessarily elected. You could kind of inherit the position. And what's the other option? Uh, regency. Well, like America is a representative democracy. No, I mean we elect our at that time. There wasn't like Democrats and Republicans. It was like you were. Oh, there. Th- that's there, what I'm talking about. They had two political factions then called the Populares and the Optimates. And the Optimates were very much in favor of power to the senators and giving the senators power over the plebeians. And many of the Optimates were uh, patricians, which is what Caesar was. Caesar was born into a patrician family. And what patrician means, you can see the the Latin root is father, right? Like patriarch Mm -hmm. or whatever. And the patricians could trace their lineage all the way back to one of the first 100 members of the Senate as appointed by Romulus during the founding of Rome. So it's like Americans who say, like, I can trace my roots back to the pilgrims. Okay, so what did Caesar want? He wanted the Senate to have power at first or what? Caesar throughout his political career was a popular there are lots of scholarly debates. It doesn't really map on today's political onto today's political parties. They had like completely different issues. They were talking about women's rights were not a thing, like um, affirmative action. Uh, they were talking about totally different. No, issues I'm just back I'm then. just trying to clear up like when we t- because when we say the Republican or like d- a diehard Republican or for the Republic, we're talking about someone who wants a democracy. Weirdly, because you want elect right like. Because you want, like, electoral people in the Senate to, like, represent the people. So you're talking about within Roman times. Yes. That's what, I'm, that's, I, that's what I wanted to clear up for people. When we say a diehard Republican, we're kind of talking about— No, you just shouldn't use that term, really. Well, d- well I mean, I'm going to use it. And sure. I, I'm—so that's why a I'm A Republican is this. someone who opposed Caesar once he became a dictator and wanted to seize power. But, but someone the who... irony is that the Republicans were actually elitists because they wanted to keep power in just a handful, you know, a couple hundred senators. However, they were opposed to regencies. They didn't want a king. Yes. So Caesar paradoxically wanted to be a dictator, but actually pushed for a lot of popular reforms that helped the lower class. So he uh, sort of increased... They had the equivalent of food stamps back then. You would get a grain allowance... And he increased the allowance, uh, and he very much was was for like generous retirement benefits for the army and for veterans, uh, and implemented a lot of other reforms that were helpful for the lower classes. So ironic that uh, he was both a dictator but also a populist. Okay. Although a lot of dictators often are, because to seize power from your elected representatives, you have to get popular will behind you. The name Caesar, according to Pliny the Elder, the Roman historian is who came up with the Caesarean section reason that one of his ancestors was born by Caesarean section, and that's where the family name came from. Uh, there are alternate explanations. One is that Caesar had a thick head of hair, which is called Caesaries, I guess, okay. in Greek. One is that he had bright gray eyes. I guess gray also has Caesar, is like one of the roots. And the one that Caesar really liked is that his ancestor killed and fought in the Punic Wars against Hannibal 200 years earlier and killed an elephant during the Punic Wars. Uh, and Caesar, later in his reign, Caesar issued coins that had an elephant stamped on them, apparently because he, uh, he liked that origin story, that his forefather had killed an elephant. 
Okay, so Caesar's, uh, he's born as a child to this patrician family. The particular family he's in supports this ongoing war that, like, Caesar's kind of born into this continuing war between the Optimates and the Populares. And at the time... What uh, time is this? So 100? Caesar's born in 100, and then around in the, the uh, 80s, and this dominates Caesar's childhood. So his, his father's doing okay, uh, and his father's sister, Julia. Caesar's aunt, Julia marries Gaius Marius, who is one of the most prominent politicians in the Republic. And Marius is a popular. Marius opposes uh, this guy, Sulla. And so Sulla, at some point during Caesar's childhood, and Marius have their own civil war. Sulla wins and appoints himself dictator. And Caesar is born to this. And Sulla and Marius kind of continue battling it out for like a decade. And whenever one of them's ascendant, they occasionally like do a political purge and kill off their political opponents or their families. So things are very dicey for Caesar. He kind of lives in terror throughout a lot of his childhood, which they think probably influenced his later thinking and may have led him to believe that Sulla didn't go far enough because Sulla was dictator uh, for a long time, I guess 10, 20 years, and then retired and and died. But he never, I guess, killed off uh, Marius, yeah, so Caesar's variously going into hiding. Uh, at the age of 16, in 85 BC, Caesar's uh, father dies suddenly. So Caesar becomes the head of his family at age 16. Ooh, can I tell you something that happened in 85? What happens in 85? My boy Brutus was born. Ah, so 16-year-old Caesar becomes the head of his family. And meanwhile... Marcus Junius Brutus. Across Rome. Capio is born to the Roman politician Marcus Junius Brutus. <laughs> <laughs> Very creative with their name and Sevilla, his mom. Okay. Mm. Let me know when you get to 78 because that's when another thing happens. Okay. Oh, well. So these purges are ongoing. Caesar's the head of his family. And then Caesar, at this point, actually pursues a religious career. What? He's 16 years old. I didn't know that. Yeah. He, he really never, at least in his early life, did not intend to become a general or politician necessarily. So at age 16, he was nominated as the new Flamen Dialis, which is the high priest of Jupiter. <laughs> I love that Scientology, yes. Yeah. And so remember, Caesar's aunt is married to Marius, who's a very prominent politician. Uh, and so Caesar marries one of Marius, his, his like friend and ally, Cinna, Caesar, Caesar marries his daughter. So Caesar gets married at 16, which is what Romans did to Cornelia. So meanwhile, this uh, this long fighting goes back and forth. Uh, it's not super important exactly why uh, Sulla took control of the Senate, but the main reason, and this apparently happened, it kept happening throughout this whole century of Roman history, is that uh, Marius, Sulla's enemy, implemented these reforms, basically saying that armies would henceforth be loyal to the general that ran the army, and not to the Republic. And this destabilized the entire Roman project because the problem they had is that every time they had, an, and they, you know, they were an expanding Republic, conquering territory constantly. So every time a general would go off and be successful and do great things for the Republic, the Republic had to worry because now there was a standing army that was loyal to this general who wasn't in Rome. And it was very possible that he would come back and take over Rome. So... Yeah, this this kept happening. So that's kind of what happened with Sulla. 
later on, it happens to Pompey. Oh, okay. And even later, it maybe happens to Caesar. So, All right. So can we talk about Pompey, the first mention of this name? For Brutus. 78, Brutus Marcus's, or Brutus's father, took part in, in an unsuccessful attempt to overthrow the government of Sulla. Um, for his part in the plot, he was killed on the order of Pompey. So Brutus is like pissed at Pompey because like he killed his dad. Yeah. <laughs> right you, now you he's killed pissed my at father. Him. You killed my father. Prepare to. My name is Marcus mm. Junus Brutus Nias. <laughs> you killed my father. Prepare to die. Yeah. So so Caesar's now uh, what is what did he say? High the high priest of Jupiter of Jupiter. Pretty. Love that and for him. And he's married to Cornelia. He is living it up. However, uh, this is before before Sula uh, resigns. Like at the peak of his power, uh, Sula targets a bunch of his political opponents, including Caesar's family. So Caesar's stripped of his inheritance, his wife's dowry, and his priesthood. And so they they completely like boot him out of the priesthood. And they tell him he has to divorce his wife because <gasps> his wife is the daughter of this political opponent oh, yeah, the... of Sula. And Caesar, to his credit, he chooses love. He refuses to divorce his wife uh, and is in instead goes into hiding. And then he was saved from, from like this threat against him because his mother's family. So what is it? His, his aunt, his father's sister is like married to Marius, but his mother's family, because they're patricians, have, also have a bunch of connections in the Senate. So Caesar is actually connected to both sides of this, like raging civil war throughout his like teen years and his twenties. So his mother steps in and is like, "Don't kill my son. Um, you've already taken away his priesthood. It's not fair." <laughs> History would have been completely different had this not happened because uh, the rules of if you're a high priest of Jupiter, listen to these rules. This is great. If you're a high priest of Jupiter, you are not permitted to touch a horse. What? which like generals got to ride on horses. Uh, <laughs> you're not permitted to sleep three nights outside your own bed or spend one night outside of Rome. And you're not permitted to look upon an army. So how do you remain a priest of Jupiter? Weird. He obviously never could have become a general. That would be terrible for like horse girls. Because like, I feel like they would want to be they high priestesses, never, but also the horses. They could know? never touch a horse. Yeah. Well, I think it's just high priest of Jupiter. I don't, I don't get the horse thing either. But oh, I think because Neptune is like the god of horses too, so maybe there's like some clashing there. I don't know. Yeah. So, by the way, I'm still in the the late '80s when this is happening. So Caesar, uh, he's he's been stripped of his his title and everything, uh, and he's like, I should stay out of Rome for a while. So he joins the army because he can now. What you mean, seventies? You're in the seventies? No, we're counting backwards. It's sorry, I'm. I flashed back a little bit to before seventy eight. You I'm keep saying, erasing my dude before he even erases himself. How I'm just dare saying, you? While while Sulla was in power, Caesar got kicked out of the priesthood, joined the okay. army. All right, my boy is still like eight, so I can't no. really say anything so, much about him. So Sulla Sulla dies in seventy eight, right when Brutus is born. Uh, no, Brutus is born in 85. Oh, okay. And his dad dies in 78. Oh, so yeah, Brutus' dad dies, Sulla dies in 78. And Caesar feels safe enough to return to Rome, but his inheritance has been confiscated, so he gets himself a nice little 
uh, middle class house, a little tenement apartment, and becomes a lawyer. So he becomes known for his, this is a, a direct quote from a source, his exceptional oratory accompanied by impassioned gestures and a high-pitched voice. And ruthless prosecution of former governors notorious for extortion and corruption. So he starts rooting out corruption. The the high pitched voice kind of gets me. He's like Mickey Mouse, like gesticulating. Hey guys, I just want to let you know that you shouldn't you shouldn't extort. It's bad. Yeah. So he gets very good at rhetoric while being uh, to be a not an to attorney. Be. <laughs> and one of the the I guess cases he represented as an attorney was for. Um, I forget what the exact like crime was, but someone had was accused of committing a crime against the senator. And at the time, you could just basically face any random punishment if a senator accused you of a crime. And Caesar argued that there had to be a trial, even if you were accused by like someone as powerful as a senator, which underpins our modern justice system. Right? Everybody know, right? has a right to trial. And then this funny story happens while he's an attorney. At some point, he's traveling across the Aegean Sea and is kidnapped by pirates and held prisoner. Oh, yeah. So apparently, the, he maintained an attitude of superiority throughout his captivity. The pirates demanded a ransom of 20 talents of silver, but he insisted that they ask for 50. Oh, he was like, I'm worth more than that, <laughs> bitch. Exactly. It's when great. is this? This is in the... Well, it, I guess it'd be the early 70s, but we're counting backwards. So this is around 78, 75. So he tells him to ask for 50. And then while kidnapped, he he like was relaxed and familiar with his captors and joked that after his release, he would raise a fleet, pursue and capture the pirates, and crucify them all alive. After his ransom was paid, he fulfilled his promise in full. He raised a fleet, chased down the pirates, and crucified them although with one difference as a sign of leniency he first cut the throats of the pirates i'll hand it back to you to finish out the 70s so what's Brut brutus doing meanwhile brutus is being he's being educated by his uncle marcus cato we'll just refer to as cato and he he's also like studying abroad um this is cato the younger yeah cato the younger i, I think that's, just, that's such a great name he's studying abroad um, he studies abroad. He, he yeah. studies abroad. You know, he studies a lot of broads abroad. He goes to Athens. He starts to get into philosophy and poetry. Okay, <laughs> so the the sixties now, from like uh, sixty nine up to sixty, Caesar becomes a politician and builds political power. Oh, can I say really quick? In sixty, uh, it's possible that Brutus had was engaged to Julius Caesar's daughter, Julia. Yes. But Brutus's mother, Servilla, was now having an affair with Caesar. And the engagement was broken when Julius gave Julia to Pompey as part of the agreement between Julius Pompey and Crassius, known yeah. as the first triumvirate. So Caesar's career in the 60s is he, right, he's, uh, you know, he escapes the pirates. Uh, and he's, a, he's already been in a, t like, yeah, a well-known lawyer and good at rhetoric. And he's was a high priest of Jupiter. And now he's elected. Great resume. Yeah, great resume. Now he's elected uh, in yeah he in sixty nine. He's elected military tribune, which is the beginning of a political career. He's elected, and I guess they actually did hold elections, uh, but I don't know if they it was, did. Yeah, but and here's something that Julius Caesar fixed, which we talked about in the time episode, is that 
something that was getting corrupt was that people, they were hold elections, but then whoever was in power was allowed to control the calendar. And so people that were in power were like, yeah, this year is actually like uh, 500 days long being hyperbolic. So he's elected this position, Quaester, this position in 69 BC. And during that year, he delivers the funeral oration for his aunt Julia, who was married to Marius, if you remember. And so Marius has been like persona non grata throughout Rome during the reign of Sulla. And Caesar famously says great things about Marius, her husband. It's a very political speech, actually, where yeah. he pushes these populist themes in favor of Marius, including apparently holding up like pictures of him during the funeral what, procession. Pictures? How, yeah. Who? What? Like paintings? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has to paint it. He's got a Polaroid. Picture meaning like a a drawn representation. Can you him. imagine? He has like a full ass like frame, and he's like one one moment. Let me go into my dossier, and it's like huge. Maybe it was a sculpture. I don't know. I love it. I love the drama. Uh, so then he goes to serve in Hispania or Spain. Uh, his wife dies sadly. Cornelia dies in sixty nine. But he does have this daughter Julia, right? Apparently, yeah. 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 They had a daughter. Well, he probably had daughters with all sorts of women. He was every <laughs> he was every woman's man and every man's woman. So he goes to Hispania after his wife's funeral. It's summer of sixty nine BC. According to legend, while there, he encountered a statue of Alexander the Great, and realized with dissatisfaction he was now at the same age as Alexander. Uh, except Ale you know when Alexander had conquered the entire known world at that time, and he had achieved comparatively little. I love that. Oh my, he's like, this is my Jesus year. Yeah. So keep in mind, he's like, we're all, he's been on the merriest side of this divide the whole time. Right. And so he returns. So now it seems like this is a turning point and he starts getting more like calculating. So he returns to Rome in 67 BC from Spain. He marries Pompeia, who is a oh granddaughter of Sulla. So he marries uh, the granddaughter of one of like his family's like greatest political opponent. He's pro he's like consolidating power now. Uh, and then, although he later divorced her after some scandal. Uh, anyway, in sixty five, he's elected Curie a daily. When do we get to the triumphant? And staged a bunch of gladiator games. The in sixty three, he's. I gotta these these positions are great though. We have like dumb like bureaucratic government names. These are good. There's so much more that happens. This is literally just the preface. In 63, the he becomes Pontifex Maximus, chief priest of the Roman state religion. And he clearly like probably cheated in that election because <laughs> he, he ran against two more powerful senators and beat them out probably by bribing the judges. Okay, then he serves as praetor. Now it's like 62, he amasses more power, and then finally it's like 60 BC, and Caesar is acclaimed imperator, and now the triumvirate kicks off. What is that? It's basically an alliance between three people, right? Yes. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so who was it? It was your boy. Okay, so Caesar, uh, Caesar at this time is in considerable debt. So he needs some help. So he turns to Crassus, who is the richest man in Rome, mm -hmm. who pays off his debts. Uh, Crassus is like against Pompey, and Caesar manages to bring the two of them together. Uh, and Pompey is really furious because he has returned to Rome 
he is a successful general. He was outside of Rome conquering territories for like a decade, became very popular, had a very loyal army, and he gets back to Rome, and Rome basically, like Pompey on behalf of Rome, has negotiated all these treaties and conquered new lands. And the Senate, because they, they don't trust him, doesn't ratify any of his treaties, mm-hmm. and they won't give a pension to any of his soldiers or reward them anything. So Pompey is like, he's been totally stiffed and like screwed over by the Senate. And so he, you know, is very unhappy. And Crassus is one of the senators who keeps like messing with him and getting senators to vote against him. Pompey kind of lets it drop, even though he gets screwed over. Here's why. Because Pompey is actually, he still has belief in that, like the ways of the old Republic will come back. So he's willing to like, uh, he's willing to like lay down his ego because he's like, this move of like joining the triumvirate will help restore greatness to Rome. By the way, this is the, it was called the third Mithridatic war. (laughs) Just saying it's to the East. It's with cities to the East of Rome, like over in the Levant, probably like Lebanon or something. So in 59, Brutus is falsely accused of being part of a conspiracy to kill Pompey. He's like indicated in this, but um, nothing really comes of it. So he's still not really in the good graces of Pompey, okay, at this point. There was I, a I conspiracy. I mean, Pompey definitely because, shouldn't yeah. trust him because Pompey killed his father. But they do have a lot of similarities. Like Pompey's father was also killed at a, a, a similar age. I guess not idealist, but they both um, believe that the past was like this this great era of Rome and they want it to come back and they believe that the... Senate is a little bit corrupt and like they want to restore the greatness of like the old Republic. So that's what they have in common, but they're still kind of like, yeah, they've also all been screwed over by the optimates, right? Caesar is a popular just kind of by birth. That's what his family's into and his, his aunt marrying Marius. So he's a popular Crassus is a popular. He's his own political force just because he's a billionaire. He's Mike Bloomberg on this thing Mm. or Trump, I suppose. But Mike Bloomberg had real money. Uh, and uh, Pompey has been blocked by the Optimates who screwed over his army because they don't want to give any power to a former general. They want to keep it all for the Senate. So the three join together and they dominate Roman politics for the next 10 years. Okay. Oh, also during during uh, the 50s, Brutus goes to Cyprus with Cato, who's his uncle, who's like educated him. And he really looks up to his uncle. Uh, uncle is also like a diehard Republican. I said I would bring it up with someone who's really for the Republic and like democracy. So Cyprus, Cyprus had been annexed by Pompey, right? This little side note. It's one of the places that have been, uh, been annexed by him. And Brutus made a loan to the city of the Salamis with a really crazy, with an interest rate of 48%. And then he returns to Rome as a wealthy man. However, what? 48% interest? That's. Yeah, they're extorting. They're extorting. Yeah. Exactly. Cato gets in trouble for this. (laughs) Brutus doesn't. And later on, Pompey helps Brutus defend Cato. Oh, okay. So that's like when they first have to start working together. Oh, it doesn't sound like Brutus is doing very much constructive stuff, I'm going to say. Well, he's a teenager. He's like, he's like 21. He's running around scheming. 
No, he's well, he's he's sort of like he's like a trust fund kid at this point or, you know, he's he's got like he's sort of like wealthier uncles. He's looking up to them. He's like he's writing. He's being very like philosophical. He does get married. Yeah, he's just ripping off the city of Salamis. He gets married to uh, basically someone to Claudia who's sort of she's more aligned with she's sort of like a cesarean vibe lady like she's kind of more on the cesarean side than the pompeian side of things oh and then he he does get appointed treasurer or i guess equisitor and he's responsible for a collection uh, of taxes quaster. what yeah quaster quaster he, He's appointed quaestor. He's responsible for the collection of taxes in Sicilia. And he mints two coins. Because I guess if you were like the treasurer. Yeah. The you treasurer is responsible for coins, minting of money. Awesome. And these coins are talked about a lot with his various biographers. One that I'm using is Plutarch. Because he seems to be the one that people like the most. It's a cool coin. So there, he mints two coins. One of them has him on one side. And on the other side, uh, one of his ancestors and the other one has a, a libertat, like the goddess of liberty on one side. And then like another one of his ancestors, both of these ancestors were, they committed like regicide. So you can see that he's very aligned with Republican ideals like this. This is like, OK, this is his stance. He's like studied all this philosophy. He's a stoic. And by him minting the coins with these like images of his ancestors, one of them who was named Brutus as well. It really shows his place in everything. You know, the U.S. dollar has a signature of, of, the, Amer of the American treasurer oh. on it. You can look on your dollar bill. Everyone has a little signature. That's cute. I would put a little heart. Okay. <laughs> That's why you'll never be treasurer. True. So while Brutus is just like messing around here, <gasps> I feel like... How dare. Like, uh, Caesar goes from the the level of like well known like beloved senator like an Al Franken to being like global superstar. He becomes uh, Michael Jordan or whatever. He becomes Con not Michael B. Jordan because Michael Jordan. <laughs> he becomes Kanye West, and he may have been crazy. We'll talk about that later. What <laughs> he may have had. He, <laughs> he was like on Twitter. Like believe, uh, many scholars believe he had epilepsy. Some believe he had like brain worms. He's on Twitter. He's like, I'm the greatest mind of my generation. Yeah. I'm a lyrical geniusist. And the the way he does this, that, that he reaches this like international uh, level fame is the Gallic Wars. To He conquered Britain during like as one of the wars. He like crossed the English Channel, conquered Britain. He built Wait. a bridge over the Rhine. This, yeah, this all happened when in this 10-year period. When was the Rubicon thing? When was the Rubicon? That's later, right? That is at the end of the Gallic okay, Wars okay. in 51. Okay. Oh, okay. So that's soon. So let's talk about it's that. coming up. I got to tell you about the Gallic Wars because a bunch of cool stuff happens oh, here. Okay. Not that one. I won't take Wait, that Wait, but he's still, he's still with his triumvirate. He's still, him and Pompey he's are still friends. He's a member of the triumvirate. But remember, he's outside Rome. But him and Pompey are still friends at this point. Yes. Okay. That's all I want to know. Okay. Keep going. Okay, so in it, this starts in yeah in in 58 BC, Caesar engineers his appointment as uh, proconsul, which is governor of the three Roman provinces, which include Cisalpine Gaul, which is northern Italy, Illyricum, which is the eastern coast of the Adriatic Sea, 
and Gallia North Bonessis, which is southeastern France and the whole French, basically South France. And the proconsular term is generally one year, but Caesar's governorship was for an unprecedented five years, and they gave him four legions. So his job uh, was really just to go be governor of these territories. And Caesar very quickly, sort of on the premise of like self-defense, because sometimes the tribes over in Gaul, and they were all Celts, by the way, harkening back to last week's episode. These are all Celtic tribes and lands. Uh, the Gauls are, it's now modern. They're like the modern French are descendants of the Gauls. Uh, but he Caesar goes all the way to the British Isles too. So the modern day, you know, Britons and some of the Saxons even are were also conquered during these wars. And Caesar, they actually had roughly equal armies, uh, Caesar's four legions and like the people that were already there. But the people that were already there were kind of divided into sort of warring tribes anyway. So Caesar routinely used his political knowledge to split the tribes up or gain a, like get allegiance and agreement from one tribe to fight with him to conquer their like lifelong enemies in some other tribe, and then he would just conquer both tribes. So this goes on for about 10 years, and during this time, Caesar writes uh, seven books, his commentaries, and some scholars regard Sounds them, like he had brainworms to me. <laughs> yeah, some, well, they were kind of like a yearly book, uh, but they were, all, they were very much propaganda as well because he's not in Rome and he doesn't want to get overthrown or lose his position. He's, he's like trying to maintain his political power. So these are, they're written accounts that like, they vary in accuracy. Some of them are just insane where he claims like his, his four legions squared off against an army of half a million Gauls and not one Roman was killed during the battle. Clearly a lie, but a lot of it is like pretty truthful and it's written in a very uniquely third-person style. So everything is written not as, like, I did this, I did that. It's it's like the general Caesar then commanded his troops to do this. And He's then like, did this. we, he refers and to himself Caesar as we. And then Caesar said to his captain, like, do this. And it's just all third-person, but apparently in, uh, in Julius Caesar by Shakespeare, Shakespeare had read the commentaries, and Shakespeare copies that uh, style of speaking in several very famous passages where the character of Caesar refers to himself in the third person. So he becomes a, a hit writer, a great writer, in his sort of like propaganda reports back to Rome, convincing everybody of the great things he's doing for the Roman Empire. He gets extremely wealthy because the Senate keeps throwing money at him, and he gets to plunder all the places he conquers. He does, finally, it takes, you know, eight years, uh, manages to conquer the Gauls. So... Vercingetorix was the Gaul who... Ah, oh, what a great name. We talked about him a little bit because he was a very famous Celt. Um, yeah, we've been setting up for this all month with the time and the Celts and the... Vercingetorix. Yeah, Vercingetorix attempted to unite the Gauls under a single banner. It came too late. Caesar had already won over too many Gauls. And there is a decisive battle, which is very cool to read about if you like military history at all. I'm surprised there aren't any movies about it. Uh, Vercingetorix, in a pitch battle against Caesar's troops, I think he does very well, and then he sort of retreats or is chased back to this walled city that's be between two rivers called Alicia. And Caesar does this insane thing to win the battle where he builds an entire like siege wall 
around this town to like lock everybody inside and you know catapult stuff at them. And then a bunch of Gauls come to bail out Vercingetorix, and normally they would just come from like behind and like over overcome Caesar's forces. Caesar builds a second siege wall on the outside of his forces, so it's like a donut almost, and manages to win this way. So Roman engineering, I guess, came out on top. This this all happens. Caesar wins, so he uh, all of Gaul is now under the control of the Romans. Uh, to give just one more like like piece of context, the way a lot of this would work is that Caesar would just declare that a territory was now part of Rome, and any Gauls who lived in that territory, even if they had been there for thousands of years, were now considered rebels until they submitted to the authority of Rome. Okay, so when does he break up with Pompey? So now what happens is that the Gallic Wars have come to an end. The Roman Senate's like, okay, you have to now resign your proconsulship and disband your army, much like Pompey did back in 63. Yeah, and Pompey's like, I, you have to do it for the good of the Republic. And Caesar's like, it, both for, his, for himself, but also for the sake of his men, and he says it all for the sake of his men. He's like, what about my veterans? Like, I want lands for them. I want, like, this and that. I, I want, like, a nice retirement. You have to give me a bunch of stuff. And the Roman Senate, dominated by the Optimates, is like, no. And so they kind of have a standoff. They have a civil war. Yeah, it doesn't all go down immediately, but it does finally end up with the Senate issuing sort of a formal edict that he has to disband his army. And on January 1st of 49, I think Caesar gives them a final chance where he's like, I will only like disband my army and step down from power if a bunch of other senators also give up power within the Senate and like give up their own like homelands and castles or whatever, and my my veterans get benefits. And of course, this like I think he knew this, but the Senate of course was like no. Right before that happens, Caesar then crosses the Rubicon. Oh, that's yeah, that's that's like declaring war basically because you weren't supposed to do that, and if you did it, it meant war. Yes. So famously. The historian Suetonius claims Caesar exclaimed, Alea Iacta Est. And he got in his Jeep it and he drove across the Rubicon. And that's where we get the name for the Jeep Rubicon. Alea Iacta Est means the die is cast. It's a very famous line. They had die. Could have just let me do the had... translation before you did the Jeep commercial thing. Oh, I mean, it's just, you know, it, it was time for an ad break. They had so he meant like the the throwing die like the like the wheel like the Fortuna wheel has been spun. So Brutus is like, what side should I join? Like I don't know. Um, and his mom is like, you should join Caesar's side, like because she's probably still banging him. And it seems like pretty obvious that he would because again he's doesn't really he shouldn't really like Pompey. But as I said before, Pompey like helped get his. Uncle Cato out of jail and they do have very similar ideals like they want this like pristine Republican state to come back so he joins Pompey's side and he flees Rome 